Ben and Blouses have been on here. Um, morning, this is Thuck Scott, of course. That's my little trade name, you know, like my little logo of sorts. But um, <clears throat> anyway, this is day 15 of Revival Talk. And um, I'm going to read a little piece from this book, um, Firefall, How God Has Shaped History Through Revivals. What a novel concept, right? Um, we've been talking about how this um, revival is going to look really different. And, um, you know, there is history is good because it does tell us some things about what God has done in the past. And, and when we look at previous revivals, there are certain hallmarks that we can look at and we can, we can see certain patterns that God uses. You know, when we see things like in Brownsville, there was people, that was a lot about salvation. I mean, people literally, all they had to do was play the mercy seat. Everybody came running. And Toronto was a lot about, you know, a refreshing for the church. Um, a lot of manifestations in that revival, but people would go and they would get glued to the floor. I mean, I remember being glued quite a bit and um, maybe giving a little roar here and there. <laughs> Glad that's not on film. Um, but in Toronto, people would go, you know, we talked about people that would be, have marriages where they hate each other, they want to get divorced <laughs> and they'd go and get glued to the floor and they'd come back up off the floor and they'd be like, the boulder in their heart has been removed and suddenly they love the person that they're sitting next to. And that is a paramount thing, um, really a hallmark of revival, is this grace that we've been talking about that is, the, the measure of it is so exponentially increased that it moves things in culture and in hearts in ways that they haven't previously been able to move. And if you look at cycles of revival, we usually end up in a place that we are right now. I mean, I love my dad. But if you ask my dad, who watches nothing but Fox News and every other news show on the planet, if you, my dad, my dad is asking me to pray now, okay? And I believe that my dad is a God-fearer and has absolute regard for God. I don't know where he's at in the other part of the process, but... You know, when my dad starts asking me to pray because, and he's saying that he's praying for the nation, I think that's pretty good because honestly, if because of what he sees and because he doesn't have another grid like revival to filter it through, if you only turned on the news, you would see a lot of darkness, a lot of lawlessness and I've always said that it's really not about political parties as much as it is about lawlessness. That lawlessness is that thing where no law applies to me. So what does lawlessness always embrace? It embraces everything that is counter to righteousness. So it wants to kill babies. You know, it wants sexual fluidity. <clears throat> it wants, um, you know, dysphoric sexuality as a norm. Um, it, you know, it goes for all the things that are really death in a culture. Um, and so when, when a society and a culture reaches a certain place, 
God's people begin to cry out for revival because they're watching what looks like through their eyes the enemy kind of winning the battle for the country and for the souls of people. And so, you know, a lot of people use spiritual awakening and revival in the literature like essentially um, interchangeably, okay? And revival comes to the church, but there's different types of revivals in history. Some have impacted a particular group of people. Like in the 70s, we have the Jesus Movement. Others have affected institutions. Very few revivals have had worldwide impact. They, they rarely ever reach that, that place where they begin to change the very landscape of a country or the world. And I think that's where this one is a bit different. And one of the things that he says, he says, when Christians cooperate, <clears throat> God produces revival. God's reasons for his divine interventions are preparation, proclamation, and preservation. In preparation, God rearranges the trajectory of his people, preparing them to fulfill their kingdom mission. This is why, you know, that whole thing I went through on this revival talk about being seated is because God is seating people in the place of their anointing right now. And a lot of people, we've been talking about this. You may have been functioning in some aspect of what you were created for, okay? And a, and a part of it, right? But I, I hear a lot of people saying that they are still waiting to do the thing that they felt like they were created for. And they feel like they've been on this extended, extended journey. And in many places, that journey hasn't looked like what they thought it would and hasn't really unleashed the thing that they feel like that they were made for. And that's what convergence is about. We've talked about how <clears throat> right now we see the cross-pollinization of many streams that are converging. And we've talked about how the ages are converging as well. So there's like this cataclysmic kind of tsunami effect to revival right now. <clears throat> that because all of these things are colliding simultaneously. So when he says here that God rearranges the trajectory of his people, preparing them to fulfill their kingdom mission, that's why it is a season of launch. This is a place where things change. People are on one path and suddenly God just rearranges their trajectory. I was reading something by Johnny Enloe last night about how literally God sent him to California. And then he came to Georgia and he sees D.C. and kind of in his trajectory. And so what God does in the preparation and trajectory, which is all part of um, preparation, is he... He realigns all of our priorities, and that's what revival really does. It changes who we are, and it changes what we want, right? Because prior to revival, most of what we want is survival. And so when God says he's going to come and do some things suddenly, and essentially saying, guys, you actually did survival well because you learned how to trust me, <clears throat> and you learned that I was good. 
And somehow, even in that survival place, he has sustained us. He has done something in the work of, pres of perseverance. There is something in perseverance that does that molds and shapes our very core. And it prepares us for the long haul. Like literally, we've been in training. And so I've said this the other night too, and it's very true that when we look back at the tapestry of our life, it is oftentimes I've looked back a lot with regret at times. What if I would have done this? In revival, part of the grace that's being released is the ability to see where I came from and to see what it means and to see where I'm going. So in, there's an aspect to this grace that, that Jesus releases in revival that connects my past to my present to my future. <clears throat> and I no longer feel like I'm living in isolated places. I'm not living in this season or that season. The seasons themselves converge into a new era. Does that make sense? Season, 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 converge, new era. And the new era looks different than anything prior. There's a lot of prophetic stuff about how people will see the pre-Trump and post-Trump era. When we use words like era, we're talking about a time in history where everything in the landscape changed. It could be a bad thing and a bad era or a good thing and a good era. <clears throat> the, the word era is being used a lot to talk about this revival because in a new era, everything from the previous era is not something that can define this one. In fact, most of what is previous cannot define what is new. The places that we get tripped up in that is, and I said history is good, revival history is wonderful because we can see something of God's ways, how he woos, what he does, what he's after, what he's accomplishing, right? And we can see what he's done in the past. We can see how things played out. Just read God's generals and you can see how everybody crashed and burned. But you'll also see the glorious things that happened. The crash and burn pieces are lessons. They're good. They tell us that we want something sustaining. That we don't want to be a people. You know, one of the big criticisms in Toronto, <clears throat> big thing was, you know, what's the fruit of this? What's the fruit? What's the fruit? You know, these people go get laid out on the floor, glued to the floor. Some became, you know, conference junkies. Others became, got launched into their ministries. Others returned back to whatever. And I think, I think on, in part, we look at the wrong thing when we're evaluating that. Because God is always after so much more than what we think. Because like Jamie Jackson, my friend here at The Remnant, who I blame for my being reseated, and that I'm now blessing on this morning program because um, I gave him a hard time for a long time. Um, I think we look at some of the wrong things because what Jamie says, and it's true, that things are being changed on every front simultaneously. 
So when we're evaluating that one, it isn't, it's often not until we're down the road that we can fully see <clears throat> what's actually changed. Because we're in the middle of forced change, which I've talked about forced change, where Jesus literally brings a shift that comes with vengeance and comes with force and literally disorients us on every level. When we're in seasons of forced change, it is hard to get our barometer and be able to wrap our head around it. Part of what pastors do in forced change is they try to define what's going on, right? What's happening all around us? What is God doing? And so <clears throat> oftentimes we have to begin to look back and be able to paint that picture a little bit better. And part of our job in the middle is to try to paint what we're seeing and lead people through that. And so this is a season of great trajectory change. It's also a season to hold everything you're holding really loose. It's also a season where God wants to reconfigure the dream. So we get confused when we do that because we say, well, wait a minute. Is what God prophesied back here wrong then? No. But I think he always owns the rights to reconfig anything that he wants. And that sometimes the places where the promise or the prophetic word were released, our trajectory changed. And with our trajectory change, it's time for a new word. In other words, a word is given. And our trajectory, because of things that happen, things that come into the mix, may um, actually have changed, moved. Our circumstances around us have changed. The key is, is that I can't bank on everything that I'm holding on to, even in the word that I got 10 years ago, because the Holy Spirit is reconfiguring right now. And so what we have to be open to is wiping the slate clean. <clears throat> and here's the deal. <laughs> We're not going to lose a whole lot in doing that because if you're holding on to something that's 10 years old, and Jesus is moving somewhere else, it's probably time to let go of it. Because here's what he is faithful to do. It's not like he's going to let you just run off the, the plantation here, you know, or run off the, you know, the, the um, campus or whatever you want to call it. You're not just running off into wild um, unknown, you know, um, let me say it this way, sorry. He's not going to let you miss it. He's not going to let you miss it because if our hearts are turned toward him, he's got us. And I, I guarantee you that Jesus, because he's into it more than us, if there's something he's trying to tell you, he will tell you on every way that he can. It'll be on every billboard you pass, every book you open, everybody you run into. <clears throat> I mean, every word you get, everything you see when you pray. In other words, we've got to trust that if Jesus is reconfiguring and changing our trajectory, 
that he's got all the keys and that he's big enough to get my attention. That is what enables me, that kind of faith and trust enables me to let go of everything in this previous era. If he wants to bring some pieces of the previous into the present, he will. But I think we honestly need to be willing to let go of it all and give him a clean slate and a clean canvas to begin to paint the picture of where we're going and what our destiny looks like. That's if we maintain that openness and we allow him to do that, he'll move heaven and earth to make sure that we're not only seated in the right place, in the place of our anointing and calling, but to make sure that we're getting the message. Because the other grace that is relieved, released in revival among the millions of others <clears throat> is dreams, visions, heavenly encounters, angelic visitations, all increase in revival. And so with the increase of revelation, our trajectory changes according to the revelation. In revival, we become dependent upon revelation to show us where to move. So we're not looking to my program. We're not looking to what we used to do or what we always done. This is the place where old forms die and new forms erect to facilitate the function of Holy Spirit in the moment. We were never meant to do this apart from encounter or apart from revelation. When Jesus is doing something that changes the trajectory of everything, revelation be becomes intense. Revelation always precedes movement. He basically, I'm, I'm going to tell my prophets what's going on before it happens, right? So we are a prophetic people. You're going to know. You don't have to worry. The other thing he says, which is the next part of this, he says, <clears throat> in proclamation, God empowers his people to proclaim prophetically and compassionately his divine reconciliation. In preservation, God intensifies discipleship, inspires evangelistic outreach, and conserves the results. God is, is, is preparing and he's also equipping us to proclaim what he's doing prophetically in the land. And so a lot of things are going to come from prophets, never downplay the prophetic. But here's the place that I, I think we need to begin to walk in that is more powerful than just relying on the words of prophetic people. You are the prophet and a priest. You have access to everything in heaven. And you don't need, yes, we love it when prophetic people call us into our destiny and they put us in our seat and they help us find that seat. But I don't need, if a prophet never came to you, how would you live? You'd have to hear God. <laughs> and so my point is, 
He's invested in you hearing him. And, you know, I've always say my joke is that my new policy is that if it's in me, it's Jesus. We're going to have to trust in the union that we have with Christ. We have to trust more in his ability to keep me and speak to me than the enemy's ability to deceive me and derail me. I have to trust more in the one who made me and the one who created me and the one who is deploying me in this hour from my seat for such a time as this. And there is grace, extra grace, a greater measure of grace for revelation. This is the place for us to say yes to all of it and to be afraid of none of it. Look, I want the kind of revelation that makes me feel like I'm about crazy. I want the kind of glory that makes me have to hold on to the wall because the glory is so strong I can't stand in it. If we want that, then we're giving Jesus permission for a lot. And he is watching over his word to perform it. And he's watching over this revival. He is moving heaven and earth and suddenlies and retrajectorying us. I made up a word. I like that. He's over all of it. And so I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to worry. If you're disoriented, good. If you feel like you're in the middle of holy chaos, hallelujah. Because if that's what you're feeling right now, you're in the right place. If you think you got it figured out, I'm worried. I'll just be honest. If you've got it figured out, I'm worried. Because right now, what Jesus is doing in revival, when he does this thing where he disorients and where he is changing everything simultaneously, there is no way to know what tomorrow brings with any kind of certainty. He is bringing us to the place where we are dependent upon the bread that he gives every day. That if I don't get fresh manna today, I don't live. That fresh manna today is the thing that leads me into my day. That the declaration for my day is different every morning. The assignment for my day is different. And we, <clears throat> if we don't move in a fluid capacity with Holy Spirit, that's the only place that we will jeopardize not doing what he's doing and being able to step into this revival. The good news part of that is, is that Jesus has a lot of grace and he's a great teacher and he loves, he's not a teacher that abandons the student to his own devices, but he does expect us to stand up in what we know and to get beyond the elementary things and be able to walk into greater revelation and manifestation. And if we can't get beyond the basics, if we're still arguing about tongues or we're still arguing about the value of the prophetic or whether we can ascend and encounter heaven or not, then we're really stuck. So we really do. It is a season and there is a grace for 
rapid, accelerated maturity right now. He is growing us up in a greenhouse. <laughs> Think of revival as a greenhouse where Jesus grows us up under intense pressure, chaos, and wondrous, wondrous wonder and awe. That wonder and awe are my new, my new expression and my new, the thing that marks my day. My days are going to be marked by awe and wonder at what he does. And our lives will be hallmarked by Jesus being the God of the impossible. And because we move in love and because we live in the realm of the impossible, the entire world is going to come and watch us burn. And they're going to say, I'll have what he's having or she's having. They're going to want that. That's why I believe that we just have to, part of this reconfig is a redesign of the very hard drive of my senses and my heart that tunes me into revelation. And that's why so much of it is being poured out right now. Because revelation and walking and fresh manna and revelation and determining the move of the Spirit in this moment, right now. And for me to be so accustomed to suddenlies that I expect things to change. That when I look at something, I look for it to change. I don't look at a valley of dry bones and think, how many years of water and life do we have to pump into those to get them to resurrect? Living in an era of great expectancy and revelation and the cataclysmic movement of ages colliding and streams intersecting and manifest sons and daughters of God coming onto the scene and moving in unparalleled power and revelation and love driven by love is our new normal. Our new normal is so far beyond our previous normal that it's kind of scary in a really good way. So, I welcome everybody to, let's just join together in this very unfamiliar, amazing, awe-inspiring wonderment of a life where supernatural is natural and living in our ability to follow the wind of the Spirit is our hallmark, where we are known by what we carry and what we release and by the revelation that we have and the love with which we embrace all. If that's the army of manifest sons and daughters, <laughs> The enemies met more than met his match. Because I'll give you the end of the playbook. Kingdom wins. Just saying. So if we already know that, it gives me a lot of hope. And it enables me to not look at what I'm seeing in front of me. But to look at the thing that's unseen. Because what is unseen 
is more real than what you're seeing. So Jesus, grace for the unseen, and I ask that you would multiply revelation, angelic visitation, encounter, encounters that take us beyond any place we've ever been, and that in the grand disorientation, I thank you that your arm is extended and we cling to you. And we know that we are okay, that we're safe, and that we're standing in the very center of what you're doing on the planet today. Thank you, guys. See you tomorrow. Blessings. Not tomorrow. Monday.